Today on Ag News Daily. As we look at uh, corn and, well, corn in particular, you know, weather is going to be the driving factor. That's what all of these headlines are going to determine which ways the funds are actively moving their money. They are still largely short the corn market. Good afternoon, everyone. It's Ashton Carr on the podcast today with Mike Pearson and Delaney Howell. How are your Mondays going, guys? It is certainly a Monday, Ashton. We've had some uh, issues here at the office with people getting hacked, our system getting hacked, and the weather is gross. And yeah, just all sorts of fun things to start us off on Monday this week. That does not sound like a lot of fun, Delaney. That sounds like a pretty terrible Monday. Mm. Oh, yeah, it has been, Mike. It's, it certainly has been. But I so hoping the rest of the week picks up here. For sure. As I, we got rain coming down across uh, really large parts of the Corn Belt, again, kind of taking some of the steam out of the markets, at least on the grain side. But uh, Ashton, what's going on down in Texas? You know, not a whole lot going on. It continues to be pretty hot and dry, but I did see on my weather app a second ago that we have a chance, not sure how big, of a thunderstorm on Wednesday. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it, really hoping we get some rain. Yeah, yeah, could really use a little drink down there, it sounds like. Absolutely. But uh, other than that, what headlines are you following on the day, Mike? You know, that's a great question. It is a slow news day, really, to start the week this week. Most folks are continuing to really keep an eagle eye on the weather. We are continuing to see the Chinese make moves to make some grain purchases. But with regard to other news, there's just not a whole lot out there. Um, I've got to follow up on a bill that was introduced earlier this month. In fact, it looks like it was introduced on July 2nd. It was a bill I don't think we talked about very much on the podcast, but it's picking up steam. This is the, the bill is called, again, very, very clever acronym, Requiring Assistance to Meet Processors for Upgrading Plants. Yeah, that spells ramp up. The Ramp Up Act would establish a program to make facility upgrade and planning grants to existing meat and poultry processors. The idea being this is going to allow folks who are currently state inspected to move to federal inspection. The reason I say this is kind of gaining a little bit of momentum in D.C. is that earlier today it was announced that American Farm Bureau has come out in favor of this bill. And it looks like they are going to be working to... Uh, I don't know if what they do is called lobbying, but but certainly share with with their constituents, uh, voters that you know, hey, if this is something you support, get active and and talking about it. So American Farm Bureau is on board with that one, also on board with a similar bill called the Direct Interest Retail Exemption for Certain Transactions Act. Anybody do the math quick on what that spells? It spells direct act. Gosh, those interns are working overtime on these names. Mm. Um, but basically, this would allow something, you know, I think we've talked about and supported on this podcast quite a bit, which is allowing sale of state inspected meat to be sold across state lines over the internet. Uh, this could be a really big thing for smaller lockers, local type processors who are state certified, but would like to be able to market their stuff to consumers they pick up on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, Snapchat. So both of these things are making progress in the House and in the Senate. Farm Bureau's behind them and uh, probably would be pretty good deals for rural America, it sounds like. 
Yeah. And to follow up with you on that, the House and Senate returned to Washington, D.C. this week to talk about not only that, Mike, but also to talk about securing another relief package for coronavirus, specifically aimed to help livestock producers and other agricultural producers. Uh, So Senate Agriculture Chairman Pat Roberts says that it is going to be top of mind for them as they get back into D.C. and get back in the swing of things. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I I know that there's going to be a lot of discussions about the different goodies that are included in this bill. So I've got a feeling there's going to be some some shouting back and forth mm-hmm. before this thing actually gets voted on. Don't you think? Might be might be a good time this week to actually watch some C-SPAN. Sure. Yeah, you watch the C-SPAN and report to us what you see <laughs> while you are not napping. Okay. C-SPAN. <laughs> Most ardent viewer to sleep. As are you watching today? Well, I am watching the Federal Trade Commission their approval for the acquisition of Bayer Animal Health by Olanco Animal Health. And so Bayer, it's a little bit of good news, I guess, for for them. And the FTC approval is contingent upon Olanco's divesting several of its products. And Olanco has also received antitrust clearance from the necessary countries and the European Commission. The deal is expected to close early next month in August, and Bayer had to divest of its animal health division in its acquisition of Monsanto. Like, completely get rid of divest? I am guessing so. There really hasn't been too much information that's come out of this acquisition, so I'm not exactly sure what that means for Elanco or Bayer's animal health division. So I'll, I'll keep an eye on it, and I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, follow that up. Those are brands that a lot of folks in animal agriculture are very familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yep. And speaking of uh, animal agriculture, got a little update here on China, more specifically African swine fever, because as we've talked about COVID for so long, African swine fever has really gotten put on the back burner. We saw, and again, take this with a grain of salt, because this comes from the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs for the country of China, which is, of course, a communist nation. But they said that China's population of breeding cells and hogs have had a quick recovery during the first half of the year here in 2020 after African swine fever decimated their hog herd last year and took its toll on especially their swine industry. They said now that the country's done some inventory and has shown that they've got about 36.29 million breeding cells. They had that at the end of June, up about five and a half million from the end of last year and up about 81% overall for their total hog herd. So they are moving right along according to them and said that their hog herd has reached pretty close to levels that they were pre-African swine fever. I thought that was interesting. It is interesting, especially since we've just heard the production was down for the seventh straight quarter in China. But of course, you know, what you produce is going to be, you know, viable six months after you get the, the sow's bread. So yeah, maybe they will be coming back sooner than anticipated. Yes, of course, they're being honest. Of course, that is the big uh, caveat there, yes. Well, I've got something else that is kind of chugging right along, and this is equipment leasing. The Equipment Leasing and Finance Foundation, this covers equipment leasing across all sectors that do that. So this would include agriculture, construction, 
those are the two that jumped to mind. I'm sure there's a bunch of others, but anybody that leases equipment, they came out and they said that their confidence in the strength of their sector is rebounding quite nicely from earlier this year when it was really decimated by coronavirus. Overall, their confidence in the finance market was down to 45.3 on the index, which is, you know, zero to 100 scale. Their June index was at 45.8, so down only slightly from June, despite this rise in cases. This seems to indicate that folks are at least making noises as though their leasing and financing plans are going to continue regardless of what happens here with COVID. Well, I mean, I think we're not, I'm not surprised by that. Uh, when we talk to a lot of equipment folks, they're saying, you know, that farmers have really pushed the envelope during the down times about restoring or replacing equipment. So it sounds like we're kind of at the end of life with some of those. Exactly. So they're probably looking to get out there and get some new things bought. Well, that is certainly helpful for the U.S. agricultural economy. Another thing that's helpful is exports. We saw the USDA report again today, this morning. The export sales of about 132,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to China again during the 2020-2021 marketing year, which has seemed pretty supportive for soybeans today. Yeah, yeah, definitely wasn't hurtful at all. We did see soybeans climb, really the only of the grains in the green today. And I tell you what, I'm all out of news. Ashton, Delaney, do you guys have more before we jump into the markets? I am all out as well. Perfect. Well, let's look at how things closed for the day. Our markets are brought to us by our good friends at agmarket.net. If you want help managing your risk on your farm, give them a call or check out their website. It's right there in the name at agmarket.net. In the corn market, September was down four and three quarter cents at three twenty eight and a quarter. December down four, closed at three thirty five and three quarters. Over in soybeans, the August contract was up a nickel at nine oh three even. November also higher by five cents to close at nine dollars even. In the wheat market, Chicago September down twelve and three quarter cents at five twenty two even. December down eleven and three quarters to finish at five twenty eight and three quarters. Also saw weakness today in livestock. The August live cattle contract was down a dollar at one oh two twenty seven fifty. October down 50 cents, closed at 106.3750. Feeder cattle down on the day as well. August down $1.10 at 141.60. September down 32.5 to close at 143 even. Lean hogs weren't spared. The October contract sold off $2.40, closing at 50.40. October down $1.8750 to close at 49.20. Looking over at the dairy market in class three milk, the July contract was up six cents at 24.32, while the August a resounding 75 cents on the day closed at 23.24. I do believe 75 cents is the limit for a daily move in dairies. That is a limit up move for August milk. Without further ado, let's do a quick little market discussion. Delaney, what do you say? Yeah, Mike, let's do it. All right. Well, I tell you what, folks, here we're running through the prices there. Nothing too terribly surprising. I think Delaney hit on the big news in the bean market, which is we continue to see China making purchases. That is lending support, as well as we've still got time, I think, before we get to real weather concerns for this bean crop. And folks are still trying to figure out how many of those intended bean acres went in the ground. Delaney, what do you think here on soybeans? 
Yeah, I would agree pretty strongly with you there. We're not quite to crunch time yet on soybeans. However, corn, we are, and we continue to see wet weather patterns across the Corn Belt. I know here in central Iowa, moving kind of northeast, if you will, we saw quite a bit of rain here over the weekend into today, which is, uh, you know, supportive for seeing corn produce, but not so supportive when you look at the corn markets. However, one thing I wanted to bring up, Mike, I don't know how closely you're watching this, but the Chinese Dalian corn futures continue to trade at a pretty high premium to U.S. corn prices, which you'd think would be more supportive for the Chinese to buy uh, U.S. corn. Yeah, it is. And just to kind of put that in perspective, Chinese corn prices domestically are at five and a half year highs. So it certainly is indicative of the fact that China should be buying more corn from the U.S. We are at a very, very good discount right now. The value of the dollar has been declining over the past, well, six to eight weeks. And this should allow the Chinese to step in. The fact that we're still seeing the bulk of China's corn purchases concentrated in next year's crop really makes me wonder if they aren't holding out to see what happens in November. Um, They have made purchases of old crop corn. Uh, I believe it was 600,000 metric tons here just last week. That's a big purchase. It's certainly a big buy, but China's going to need a lot more. Uh, I think they are just buying hand to mouth until they see how this election really starts to shape up. And then eventually, of course, what happens in November? China is Mm -hmm. no stranger to playing politics and they like to have big stockpiles of grain so they can wait out moments like this. I think the only reason we've seen China buy old crop supplies is that, you know, due to this trade war, they've been chewing down their domestic stockpiles over the past year and they're forced to kind of come out and buy some. Yeah, I I agree. And I had a little more to add to that as well. This was something that kind of flew under my radar, but thought was important to talk about, especially in the corn discussion. Uh, Looking at tariff rate quotas, China has been continuing to buy U.S. corn at a pretty good discount compared to their domestic corn price there. But uh, they're also having production issues, as we've mentioned here on the podcast with those state reserves, like you mentioned there, Mike, running low. The one thing that's flown under the radar, though, that we really haven't talked about a whole lot is a dispute going on right now between China and the United States about, obviously, agriculture as well as trade. And so the WTO has ruled that China has had to buy a certain amount of agricultural products via these tariff rate quotas or TRQ licenses. And so... We're getting really close to China hitting that TRQ quota. And so any additional corn purchases after that are not going to be required by the WTO. That's that's basically above and beyond what was required by the WTO, which would, I think at that point in time, really show the true picture of Chinese demand and also really how low their stockpiles are running. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it is definitely a wait and see since... I don't think anybody trusts the Chinese government on either the size or the quality of their stockpiles. You know, they just came out a week ago. I think we reported it last Monday or last Tuesday that uh, after that video went around on uh, Chinese Facebook, Weibo talking about uh, the poor quality of grain. Well, their you know auditors rushed right out and said, nope, nope, their grain is in great condition around the country. And, you know, I just don't know how much faith people have in that anymore. Yeah, you kind of have to read between the lines when it comes to Chinese uh, demand or really anything that comes out from them. Yeah, and I do think at least in the near term, as we look at uh, corn and, well, corn 
in particular. You know, weather is going to be the driving factor. That's what all of these headlines are going to determine which ways the funds are actively moving their money. They are still largely short the corn market. And as we get forecast calling for rain. And as of right now, the last forecast I took a look at was last night, and it was calling across the Corn Belt for about an inch of rain across a good portion of the northern and eastern Corn Belts. And that's enough right now during pollination for most growers, or at least from the market's perspective, from the trader's perspective, that's enough to take some of the supply risk out of the market. And that's why we see prices on the downside today. Um, in addition to, uh, to news as the winter wheat harvest moves right along, it's looking pretty good. That was really what was hurting the wheat market today. You know, we finally seen combines work their way north into uh, you know South Dakota and so forth. And they're reporting very solid looking harvests. And one of the trade's big concerns has been this massive glut of wheat that we have had for some time. And it looks like, uh, by all indications, it might continue this year, even as we continue to plant fewer and fewer acres into a cereal crop. Yeah. And, you know, the old adage is that if we're not harvesting or planting wheat here, they are somewhere else in the world. Uh, but just, to, I think, to put it in perspective, I mean, wheat did have a really nice rally, has had a nice little rally here up off of some of the lows that they saw earlier in, uh, well, mid-June, I should say. And we saw uh, September Chicago wheat close just over the 200-day moving average last week. The other thing to keep in mind is, you know, there is a lot of wheat all over, but we continue to hear rumors that Russia might be having some production issues and uh, could continue to support a little bit of a rally if we continue to hear rumors and trickles about that. We're also hearing rumors, Mike, I don't know if you heard this, that China has been buying U.S. Uh, SRW wheat, which would also be somewhat supportive for the U.S. wheat markets. Yeah, we had one of those sales uh, confirmed last week. So, I mean, it's definitely, definitely in the cards. And I think you know, looking back on the wheat market over the past six weeks, there has been a phenomenal rally as concern is mounted over exactly what is going to come out of Europe, the former Soviet Union states and Russia. And that's probably going to intensify at least until those combines start running. And, you know, we get enough traders have enough connections in Europe and Russia and the Ukraine, they can get more or less reliable yield reports on harvest. Then we'll, we'll start to see some validity return to that market, Delaney. Absolutely, Mike. But I tell you what, the other market that uh, suffered pretty much soybeans were the only winner on the day because as you mentioned there, uh, live cattle, feeder cattle were both down on the day. Mike, what were your thoughts about today's trade? So I, I've got a few thoughts on the cattle market and none of them are terribly fully formed. Um, and so I you know, listen with whatever, your eyes open or something. I, these are just my thoughts. I, I think a, we've got no news. Um, we continue to see the slaughter pace move back and forth. It had been climbing. It, it had been accelerating, I should say, is a better word. Um, we were seeing the slaughter pace matching last year's pace just two or three weeks ago. Now it's starting to slow down. Uh, last week will be the first week we've really had a big downward uh, movement in the slaughter pace. And I, I don't know why. Haven't heard of any major plants shutting down. You know, we continue to see these plants working with OSHA and working with the uh, Department of Public Health and all of that to, to stay open and maintain production. But with coronavirus sweeping the country, my take is that we're seeing worker absenteeism increase and we're starting to slow down the throughput of, cat throughput of cattle on the line. And folks, remember, this is what got us into the predicament back in March and April. It wasn't necessarily that restaurants just shut down. That certainly put a massive price pressure downwards on prices on the wholesale market. But what hurt us on the 
cattle side. Selling the animals out of feedlots was the fact that slaughter plants were backing up and we just couldn't find the hangar space as plants were slowing down. That's the concern I think could be raised again as this COVID spread continues. Packing plants have every incentive now to get workers home, get workers away. They don't want to see their plant blackballed from China sales, especially on the pork and poultry side. It's probably less important on the beef side, but it's definitely running through the minds of plant operators. And I think that is bringing some fear back into this market that a slowdown or a backup could begin again or accelerate on feedlots. And then we could see these cattle start gaining weight again. We'll start pushing more meat onto the market, even with slower kill paces. That brings overall choice and select box values down. This is a concern I have. And I, like I say, I haven't seen a whole lot of data to support it. So it's more speculation at this point. But I would advise folks to be careful, at least until we get a better handle on demand data as we get a little deeper into summer. Yeah, the other thing I want to echo too is, I mean, you look at feeder cattle prices, we're really not that far. I mean relatively speaking, we're not that far off of uh, some of the highs we put in, you know, early January at about a hundred and what, 57 ish, I want to say, you yeah, know, we're at yeah, one, yeah. right. We're at one forty three right now. And, you know, we continue to see, we continue to see demand, uh, whether or not we can keep up with that slaughter capacity is one thing, but I mean, I, I, we, we've been moving on a nice little uptrend here in the cattle markets. So uh, I don't see that, you know, deteriorating anytime soon. Well, I hope you are correct, Miss Delaney Howell. And I tell you, it's a similar story in hogs. We just got to keep the export base up. We got to keep demand strong. You know, we're bringing lots and lots of pork to market. And again, I think probably pork plant operators are being a little more um, aggressive with uh, worker absenteeism, you know, keeping workers home, making sure that that plants in this country don't get blackballed from China. Um, but yeah, I mean, the pressure is just going to be there. We, we shoot our way through the worst of it. Demand has remained intact, but there's just not a lot of real direction to go. And as this COVID thing continues to spread, restaurants look at sh shutting back down or reducing capacity. We still don't know what's really happening with schools around the country. All of these things are going to have an impact on prices. And I think traders are going to bide their time before making any real aggressive moves, especially to the upside. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more, Mike. Well, I tell you what, Delaney, you know, without more news in the markets, it's kind of tough to just fill time. But that's my thoughts on where things are today. Do you have anything else before we uh, let the listeners go? You know, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, we've got to wait and really see some things firm up here, whether it's Chinese demand or some weather issues, especially for soybeans. So uh, it's just going to be a wait and see game, unfortunately. It is indeed, folks. But you don't have to wait and see for news in the world of agriculture. Well, I guess you kind of do. Just wait a day. We're out every single day at Ag News Daily. You can find our podcast on any great podcasting you know, host or the website at agnewsdaily.com. Connect with us. Connect with the other podcasts in the Global Ag Network. And as always, check us out on social media. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search for Ag News Daily. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.